0: i can't
1: stand this for one minute more oh come on hal it's a perfectly
2: calm sea not the sea peg it's gilbert godfrey
0: Eating?
2: Am I even on a cruise anymore? Let's
0: rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a open
3: No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children podcast.
4: Welcome back, fans. You are here for the new Buck King of All Dogs podcast. Oh, wait. That's for dogs. Uh, it's better known as uh, Marywood Children podcast to us humans. So want to welcome you back into the nudie bar. How you doing there, Tyler? <laughs>
5: oh, I'm doing pretty good there, Stephen. Um, sorry, i got to watch up. I just finished looting through. <clears throat> sorry. I just finished looting around through Oprah's trash
4: <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know what you found there please don't tell me
5: I wanted to pick like a, I wanted there's a lot of good lines in this episode but I wanted to pick one that was just only would be caught by someone who just watched it it was a real out of the way line so
4: yeah, yeah mine was from the uh, from the recap <laughs> and Buck is doing the recaps on the two-parter episodes this season. Yeah, earlier today I was listening to Luigi and Alyssa and Chris talking about Business Still Sucks part 2 <laughs> and Buck was doing the recap for the part 1 episode.
5: You know, it's really funny this whole recap thing because uh, like I was all I was thinking about while watching this and listeners from the last episode you might know I don't have any memories of this episode before so it's like my first time and I deliberately waited until today to watch it just so it's fresh and all I kept thinking was holy crap this is so cheap it's so so cheap the recap is a good quarter of it they're only on one like green screen set for most of it and it's uh, so much humor is about what's happening off screen Uh, like. It's done right, it's done with comedic effect, but I'm just I'm just really curious of why, why they decided to go so cheap.
4: Well, I'll tell you one thing, maybe we ought to remind people what we're reviewing.
0: Hmm, yes. Yeah.
4: We are reviewing Season 9, Episode 19, Ship Happens, Part 2, directed by Jerry Cohen, written by Karen Green. It first aired on February 26, 1995. But we, and we also have some guest stars. Tyler, who are they? Oh, man. So we've
5: got tons of guest stars in this episode. We've got Teresa Parente as Miranda, Ver, Vera, <clears throat> as Miranda Veracruz de la Hoyla Cardinal. 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 Yes. I was trying to say it with an accent Cardinal. Hannah Exton as Joy, Leela Jones, Keith Sellin-Wright, Kevin McBride, Melissa Chan, and Scott Harmon. Oh, and I think I missed one. Oh, yeah. Gilbert Gottfried.
3: They finally...
5: I'm not even going to do his voice. They finally got him. Oh, I was so happy to see him. Big, big, big plus just for Gilbert Gottfried. Thank God they got him on.
4: Yeah, he is a riot. I I do like him. He is one of my... uh... I wouldn't say he's one of my absolute favorite comedians, but I just love his style and the way he does his
3: jokes. It's the greatest seafaring and adventure ever told. We're just going to
6: wind up with seagulls pecking out our salt and trusted eyes.
3: Thank you, Kathy Gifford. When the fundies are lost at sea.
6: Does anyone know how to repel a shark?
3: Anything can happen. Anybody want to hold my pen? Married with Children, part of a full hour
5: tonight. There's a lot of references in this episode, Stephen, from pop culture on the sea. Like you got Gilligan's Island, David Hasselhoff's Baywatch, Jaws, Dolphin, or Jacques Cousteau, Jaws, Dolphins, or Flipper, uh, Captain Blithering as Captain B from the Mount Mut from the Mutiny on the Bounty. Like there's pop culture going all over the place, right?
4: Yeah, an actual history with Captain Bly. And anyway, I'll, I'll talk about another one here shortly once we get into the uh, episode when it's running, because I find it very interesting of a certain line they said.
5: And before we get into making fun of this, Steven, i got to ask, so we both agree, and I still do, that that first episode, Ship Happens Part 1, where like, that was a lot of fun. We had a lot of good jokes and everything, but did this episode really need a part two like d- did it really really need one because that's where I come out at the end of this and we can revisit this comp- this this question at the end of the episode but I just want to put the, the this question out there does this episode also funny and clever at some points does does it really need a a, a part two didn't this look like didn't this almost seem like Mary with children kind of just wanted a uh you know, a hiatus week, but the network wouldn't let them, so they did something really quick and cheap. Like this whole thing could have probably been shot in a couple of days.
4: That's something in regards to that towards the end I'm gonna bring it up. Ooh. Because uh about when this aired, a little bit of back trivia I guess you could say.
5: Okay. Well listeners, it's gonna be a fun conversation.
4: Yeah, we first get the recap from Buck. <laughs> <laughs> Previously on Married with Children, the family who never feeds me won a vacation.
2: Oh, it's not so bad. No, it's like 20,000 leagues under the sea. (laughs) Except I'm married to the giant squid.
4: (laughs) Exacerbating the situation was the fact that by day, the cruise was geared towards women who ate like mastiffs. But by night, Al was happy for a brief moment until...
3: I know you can't, sweetheart, I
1: know
2: you can't. Come on, Jefferson, let's go. You
3: can't go either. My hair don't look like crap.
4: (laughs) And if that shipwreck wasn't enough, get a load of this one.
0: Oh my God, you are really sinking? Oh, come
2: on. If we were really sinking, you'd think I could look in this porthole and see.
4: (laughs) And now back to Buck, king of all dogs, also known to humans as married with children. And uh, at least this one was quick. This was a quick recap compared to the one on Business Still Sucks Part 2. And I liked it getting it through it pretty quick because there really wasn't a whole lot in the original plot. Although, like we said last week, we really enjoyed it. We found it fun.
2: Did I thank you for inviting me on this cruise, Peg?
1: (laughs) Well, as a matter of fact, you haven't.
2: Oh, then maybe a simple steak through the heart would suffice All right, look, this is no time to turn on each other We're alone in the middle of the ocean It's a perfect time to turn on each other
3: Why don't you look on the bright side? It's a balmy summer day We're on vacation Well, now we know who we're going to eat first
6: <laughs> Dibs on the thighs <laughs> You cookie aisle of a woman. If you hadn't gnawed through 12 inches of bulkhead to inhale some jerk chicken, none of us would be here. So if anyone's going to feed on my husband's dead thighs, it's going to be me.
1: Thanks, Gumdrop. I can't stand this for one minute more. Oh, come on, Hal. It's a perfectly calm sea. Not the sea,
2: Peg. It's... Gilbert Godfrey.
3: Uh, So I'm on a cruise. My (laughs) agent says to me, Cruise! You don't have to follow Sinbad. And you don't have to follow Carrot Top, And you get to eat with the captain. So am I eating with the captain? Am I eating? Am I even on a cruise anymore? Somebody get my agent. But
4: we start out on the open sea with Al, Peg, Jefferson, Marcy, uh, Joy, and of course, Gilbert Gottfried. And that first shot when he's introduced, you can see his head is down for like that reveal later. All right.
5: We said Gilbert Gottfried so much, but we maybe some listeners don't really know anything about him, Stephen. Um
4: He was born February twenty-eighth, nineteen fifty-five. Gilbert Gottfried, he's an American stand-up comedian, actor, and voice actor. His persona as a comedian features an exaggerated shrill voice, and I love it. And an emphasis on crude humor. His numerous roles in film include voicing the Paradiago in Disney's Aladdin, which I loved, animated films and TV shows: Zeke in Fish Trout, Digit in PBS Kids Go, Sub Subprime and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He was also the voice of the Affleck Duck until 2011. He got canned because he was making jokes on Twitter after that nuclear uh, meltdown. It wasn't a meltdown, but nuclear problems over the nuclear plants in Japan when they received a tsunami. Uh, He was already making jokes about it. And so he got fired from that. Since 2014, he has hosted a podcast, Amazing Colossal Podcast. And it features discussions of classic movies and celebrity interviews. I think I'm going to take this up. It sounds uh, Interesting. He uh, also appeared in the critically planned movie hit Problem Child. I hated that movie. I hated that movie. God, I thought that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> but Gilbert Gottfried. And, and some, a little bit of an interesting thing with me. You know, I have little rants stored up in my mind. And one of my rants is "I'd rather, I'd rather do something else. And this is my list that I have. I'd rather watch a porno starring B. Arthur and Rosie O'Donnell. I would rather give Stevie Wonder a driving lesson. I would rather have a cable premium channel that only show Battlefield Earth, Smokey, and the Bandit 3 separated by those Lemu-Emu commercials. My God, I'd rather listen to Gilbert Gottfried read the Bible on tape.
5: Oh, my God. I love that I know what all of those things are and understand. It's thanks to this podcast, listeners. I understood every single word and every single contextual phrase that Stephen just said, and I loved every single one of them. <laughs>
4: oh, and, and I thought of how, how that Bible thing would work. In the beginning, the earth was void, and the Spirit of the Lord flew along the waters, and he said, Aflac! Ah,
5: and the spirit of the Lord flew over the water. Wait, yeah. how can the spirit fly? Is he create the air yet? What the What the heck? <laughs> I need water.
0: <laughs>
5: no, like, it's... It, it was so... Yeah, like, we're, we're doing this... Like, listeners, if you've just... He's Iago from Disney's Aladdin. That voice is always going to make you laugh. And he just... I've, I'm a big listener of his podcast. He did a guest spot on, um, uh, a guest interview on a podcast I love called the We Hate Movies podcast, and they're just he just has so much. He has so many stories from old Hollywood and just a uh, just a world of the stand up comedian life that is not doesn't exist anymore that I find very fascinating. So a good get for Mary with Children to have him on here.
4: Yes, and I thought he was a much better uh, guest star than Wolfman Jack. I'll give you that much, too. Of
3: I mean, course. he
5: survives to the end of this, so that tells you how they felt.
3: And you get to eat with the captain. So am I eating with the captain? Am I eating? Am I even on a cruise anymore? Somebody! Agent!
2: Somebody get my spear gun. (laughs) I think he's funny. Make it two spear guns.
1: So what do we do now? We bob
6: around in the sea until the sun bakes us like cookies.
0: (laughs)
2: Cookies? Quiet sea hags.
4: (laughs) And like you said. That was an awful special effect. Such a cheesy green screen.
5: I'm pretty sure we had the same kind of green screen in my high school when we did our action news segment on the school news thing. Like, it's, you could almost see the green hue around it. But, all right, yes. So back to the, uh, back to our raft and our very convincing backdrop.
4: And I like it when they're out there and, you know, Al says, it's not the Sea Peg, it's Gilbert Gottfried. And he starts talking a little bit. Oh, yeah, remember, the ship is called the Sea Dodge. Oh,
5: Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. There's another star. Oh, my God. It's called the sea dodge. But, oh, my God, yes. So that's really great. And we got Gilbert Gottfried.
4: (laughs) So they're floating on the ocean, and I remember Al commenting on, now we know who we're going to eat first, referring to Gilbert Gottfried. And I think this may be a reference to the survivors of the whale ship Essex. Moby Dick, if you've ever read that, I have, was based on an actual true story of a whaling ship that was attacked by a sperm whale. And the the two surviving groups, or three surviving groups, pardon me, they got in their lifeboats and they were off the shores of South America going pretty much down and they were they had some supplies with them, some food, but they ran out, and some of them had to resort to cannibalism to survive
5: wait, like you said the ship was attacked by a sperm whale wasn't wasn't the whole point of Moby Dick they were chasing the sperm whale well,
4: no, the whole point was that uh the captain Ahab was obsessed with getting revenge against the sperm whale or uh attacking his boat and uh and wounding him
5: oh so. Wow. Oh, I, okay. I'll confess, I've never read Moby Dick, but I always got the idea that it was about an obsessive captain who was completely hell-bent on hunting this whale down. You're telling me it's a more of a revenge because the whale did him wrong?
4: Yes, he thinks the whale did him wrong. But you can't take revenge on nature. Our friend Jerry Herring, on his Kill the Cast podcast, uh, last summer they had one... On Orca.
5: Ooh, that's a good and if one. If you think I about like
4: it, <laughs> yeah, and I remember it was a fun, cheesy movie back in, well, it wasn't so cheesy, but the thing is, I never thought about it until they were talking on Kill the Cast about it, that um, if you really think about Orca, is almost, you know, it's reverse of, of Moby Dick. Now the whale is going after the person. Yeah, they reversed it because the whale is now on a quest for revenge against the person who uh, killed his mate and its child.
5: I see. I love that because it's totally somebody in the writer's room of the, of the Orca movie screenplay was just like, it's like Moby Dick. However, we're going to invert it. Now the whale wants revenge, completely destroying the whole idea of, of Moby Dick where it's Nate. You can't really take revenge on nature. It's kind of pointless. The whale didn't know what he was doing. So let's, let's completely destroy that structure and have a fun whale battle. But it's a fun movie. I highly recommend
2: it. First thing we have to do is pick a leader. Who knows the most about the sea?
3: David Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: Gilbert's disqualified. Anyone else?
6: Uh, what difference does it make? We're just going to wind up with seagulls pecking out our salt and crusted eyes.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Kathy Lee Gifford. <laughs>
1: Al really doesn't know much about the sea, so I think. Excuse
2: me, Loch Ness hairdo. I know two things about the sea. Number one, when you flush, it ends up here. And two, I've watched all 3,000 episodes of Gilligan's Island.
0: How
1: do you find the time? I
2: don't have sex with you. So,
4: moving on from there, I love this uh, question. I think Marcy said it. Who knows the most about the sea? And Gilbert Gottfried has to say, David Hasselhoff. Okay, Gilbert's disqualified. And I think, Tyler, you probably grew up on David Hasselhoff. (laughs) Didn't you?
5: (laughs) Uh, Actually, I did. Um, I know who David Hasselhoff is for two reasons. Um, One, he was mentioned on The Simpsons. And uh, Lisa... Lisa's do uh, it's a flashback of Lisa as a little baby uh, saying words like can you say David Hasselhoff David Hasselhoff I heard her say that and I also (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I remember that yep also the Spongebob Squarepants movie where he appears live action and care fires uh, care like carries Patrick and Spongebob out to sea like faster than any boat can move, and then puts them between his huge pecs and fires them down torpedo style to Bikini Bottom. And it's not cartoon Spongebob David Hasselhoff, it's live action David Hasselhoff. It's pretty good. But besides those fun appearances or mentions, uh, David Hasselhoff was born on July 17th, 1952. He was nicknamed (laughs) off <laughs> but he's an american actor singer producer and businessman who set a guinness book of world records as the most watched man on tv <laughs> that's awesome uh he first gained recognition on the young and the restless playing dr snapper foster his, <laughs> his... <clears throat> playing yeah dr snapper foster His career continued with his leading role as Michael Knight on Knight Rider and as L.A. County Lifeguard Mitch Buchanan in the series Baywatch, which I've not seen, but I know well enough to never have to see it. Uh, Hasselhoff produced Baywatch from the 1990s until 2001, when the series ended with Baywatch Hawaii. And he also appeared in films including Click, Dodgeball, this previously mentioned Spongebob Squarepants movie, and Hop. Now, before Samuel L. Jackson, Hasselhoff was the first actor to portray the Marvel Comics character Nick Fury. Perfect casting. And the 1998 telefilm Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I wasn't being sarcastic. That is awesome. He, he does put an eye patch on him. He works. In 2000, he made his Broadway debut in the musical Jekyll and Hyde. Following his debut, he started other musicals, including Chicago and The Producers. And for a nice little Married with Children connection, he and Katie Seagal, Peggy herself, went to the same school. And he appeared on Sons of Anarchy as a Palm producer. I don't remember him, but I'm going to look him up because I just watched all of SOA. Oh, so good!
4: I'm in the middle of a rewatch myself, and I'm so glad that Alex uh, was able to uh, get me interested in that. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I remember. I have. I did watch Baywatch. It was back uh, in the '90s. Uh, I remember. I would usually just wrap up and turn on the TV, and wow, it's time for Baywatch. And I thought, wow, those women are hot. A whole bunch of us students were going over to one of those water parks, and I made the comment: these women lifeguards look nothing like the ones in Baywatch. Why is that? Of course, I'm just being facetious about it. And then uh, I love this line in here when you know they want to know who's going to take charge, and Al says that uh, he's seen all three thousand episodes of Gilligan's Island when there are only ninety-eight.
5: I mean, that's a lot of episodes, though.
4: Probably seems like 3,000 episodes, would you think? <laughs>
5: well, actually, uh, from something I remember like reading, that Gilligan's Island is remembered as having so many episodes or just being so apparent because it was one of the shows that was replayed rerun to death like they would have four hour blocks or two three hour blocks a day sometimes of Gilligan's Island where you would just get four episodes back to back we, that seems normal now but back in the day that was nuts it'd be like turn on the tv and there's a good chance gilligan's island's is playing
4: so yes and you know that didn't start until like the 90s when they would do those back to back to back to back when i was growing up in the 70s you know that was on at school we'd come home we want to watch cartoons gilligan's island which was very much like a cartoon and the brady bunch So, those were our things that we would watch after school, Generation Mm Xers.
5: As a a younger, uh, medium aged millennial, as I am, that was prime Nick at Night material. Right after Lassie and then um, The Honeymooners, then I could watch Gilligan's Island and The Brady Bunch, followed by a nice, relaxing period of Full House. and not one damn cartoon to fill that slot.
4: <laughs> you watch Full House on purpose?
5: Yeah, I mean, what, what do you want me to do, Steven? Read a book? Like...
4: <laughs> yeah.
5: No! <laughs> it's a TV show that I'm allowed to watch. It's either that or go to bed. So guess what? <laughs> Uncle Jesse, take me away. Like, <laughs> It's just... <laughs> Uh, it. I can't believe how much crap I just rewatched over and over and over again because it was on so that that, that comment about Gilded's Island really spe- spoke to me
4: and then there was another one in the 60s I watched Nick at night br- help bring back was uh, Get Smart with Don Adams oh
2: yeah
3: alright that is decided Al's captain
6: well captain now what
2: Well, as my first official act, I'm declaring my marriage null and void. And secondly, I think we should strike out for land. Which way is land? Good, then we're on our way.
6: This is useless. Al couldn't find land if he was skydiving. We're in the hands of a blithering idiot.
0: That's
2: Captain Blithery.
4: I thought it was funny. They say Al says, which way is land? All of them are pointing in different directions, which is technically correct. Land's in all of those directions. You just don't know which one is the closest. And then Marcy gives her great zinger. Al couldn't find uh, land if he was skydiving.
5: (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. But really important is like you. Yes, land is anywhere, but you are more likely just going to keep paddling in circles without a reference point. We got Gilbert Godfrey with with souvenirs from the ship.
4: Yeah, he got some. Yeah, serving trays instead of food. I think he should have gotten food.
3: Look. Perhaps a a brief comic interlude will help lighten the moment. (laughs) I hope you can hear my jokes over the rumbling in my stomach. Is this thing on? Right before we went down, I took a bunch of serving trays as props.
2: Oh, much better than taking food.
3: Why couldn't have
6: Gallagher been the entertainer? I mean, at least then we could have had watermelon.
2: Yeah, like we'd have gotten any.
3: Well, anyway, Mickey Mouse on acid.
0: Yeah. Oh, it out! Somebody help me! I'm a trip!
3: Oh. A pigeon putting a dime in a payphone. <laughs> Clark Gable. Vincent van Gogh.
2: Peggy, you wanna give this one tug?
3: Ironside!
4: Okay, so for Gable Godfrey's act, he has two red serving trays. He starts with Mickey Mouse on acid and he has the trays put up in a position that would be mouse ears. Then he says a midget trying to put a dime into a payphone. He looks like he's mimicking putting a dime into a coin slot. Clark Gable, he puts the red trays up where the ears should be. Vincent Van Gogh, he puts down one of the serving trays and in case you didn't know vincent van gogh was a uh, artist he was uh, born i think he was french if i remember correctly and he cut off his ear in a fit of rage uh, for some bizarre reason i don't know so help you understand that joke and last but not least gilbert then says ironside and to let you know, Ironside was a uh, detective series that ran in the 70s starring Raymond Burr. He was a former detective who was put into a wheelchair by a gunshot. And so Gilbert to mock, uh, Ironside is using the trays like uh, Raymond Burr would uh, be pushing his wheels. Okay, so
5: with... Al and his merry bunch of wayfarer souls on the raft. Let's take a turn to our B plot with the kids and their sick, <laughs> sick house guest. <laughs>
6: No, 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 no bugs! Don't go into that deserted mine. Yosemite Sam just threw dynamite in there.
0: Oh God! I hope this is a rerun.
6: God, I hope he marries someone with money. Now move over. I want to watch the news.
5: And in close to showbiz news, radio personality and ex-pimple cream spokesman Wolfman Jack was found bound and gagged in a dumpster behind Planet Hollywood last night. found several clues but instead opted to go inside where it was warm
3: <laughs> it's the last time I let you hit someone with a shovel
4: <laughs> yes yeah, so we go back to the Bundy house and Bud is coming downstairs and Kelly is watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon worried about him going into the house where Yosemite Sam has put all the dynamite Oh, I love Bud's line there. Boy, I hope you marry someone who's rich. (laughs) Because... And I think this is fitting, because this this show, this particular episode, is real Looney Tunes. I mean, this one is Looney Tunes to the max. And then they break in with the news. The news that the Sea Dodge has gone down in the Caribbean. And the only surviving members were... Let's see, Gilbert Gottfried and someone with really ugly-looking hair. <laughs> and Kelly who. thinks it's one of the Juds.
5: <laughs> in another late-breaking story, the luxury cruise liner Sea Dodge went down last night in perfectly calm waters somewhere in the Caribbean.
6: Kelly, that's the ship Mom and Dad are on.
5: All the passengers have been accounted for except one lifeboat purportedly carrying comedian Gilbert Gottfried and some other people, including a woman with really silly red hair.
0: Oh, my God.
6: Gilbert Gottfried and one of the Judds are lost at sea. It's not one of the Judds, you zagnut. Kelly, do you know what this means? Mom and Dad. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? How are we going to eat? How are we going to pay the mortgage? Our lives are going to be... exactly the same.
3: Look, we can't can't just sit here. we got to get to the Caribbean somehow.
2: Okay. Uh, don't forget to leave some food for the dog.
6: How long are we going to be gone?
2: I don't know, maybe weeks. Uh, Yo, dog here.
0: Yo.
6: I'm from the Chicago Examiner. Are you the people whose parents are
0: lost at sea with the voice of Iago the Parrot, Gilbert Gottfried?
6: Yeah.
3: Soap's on! All right, let's go. Come on, get Don't miss that beat. Come on, get around Let's go. Let's go. What's going on here? You are. We're here to bring the country live, minute-by-minute minute coverage of your anguish at the loss of Gilbert Gottfried. And your parents. <laughs>
6: might still be alive. Yeah, and half us eating at
0: Denny's. (laughs) (laughs) Now, wait a second now.
3: You people can't just barge in here and invade our privacy. Kelly, show these people out. We'll pay you a million dollars for your exclusive story.
0: (laughs) Kelly,
4: get these people a Snapple. (laughs) Bud realizes it's mom and dad out there. Of course, I'm trying to figure out how they know that. Yeah, Peggy has red hair But they know that was the ship They were on And
5: We'll see, like, it's moving into this uh, You mentioned this was very Looney tunes see, And there may be Some Looney Tunes atmosphere But when Married Children goes Looney Tunes, they go to it Very literal This is one of those surreal We know we're in a sitcom Kind of things Because that's that's what i think that's what bud and kelly are saying like oh a couple people survived i wonder who it could be it's obviously got to be mom and dad like we got to do our things now which is funny and all but hmm, it's not my favorite cup of humor
4: well at least they did the right thing with wolfman jack putting him in a, a dumpster bound up behind planet hollywood
5: Man, he just didn't want to leave the show, did he? No, he didn't. If you paid for him, (laughs) you got him.
4: Yeah, so thanks, Bud and Kelly, for pitching him for a much better guest star. So, I love Kelly. She's thinking, what are we going to do? How are we going to pay the mortgage? How are we going to eat? And our lives are going to be exactly the same.
5: (laughs) That did make me laugh a lot.
4: (laughs) And then they're on their way out the door, and who is there but a reporter? And more reporters yes. come in. And this is another thing of, of continuity. How do these reporters know it's the Bundys that are alive out there in the middle of the of the Atlantic or the Gulf of Mexico? I mean, that makes no sense whatsoever. But since it's Merry with Children, you just go with it.
5: It's called sitcom magic.
4: Exactly. It was just, uh, uh, and I love Buck. He's saying, don't forget to leave some food for the dog. Yo, dog here. <laughs> but fortunately they don't have to leave. And frankly, I thought all these news people coming in, and there are probably at least three or four news teams already there. And I will say that I do believe that this was a, a maybe even a commentary on you know wall to wall news because they say we're here to bring the country live minute by minute coverage of your anguish at the loss of Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, the kids aren't worried about Gilbert Godfrey. They're worried about their parents, which again shows that the Bundys do care. But there was a rise of sensational news entertainment shows like Current Affair would pop up during that time. And it was kind of sleazy journalism. As a matter of fact, that's where Maury Povich got started, was on a Current Affair. And it, it was it just started in the 80s. It really took off in the 90s and it was sensationalistic news, entertainment news. This is when they were covering stuff like the Menendez brothers trial. I think you mentioned that the last one. And yeah. many other celebrity trials, I think maybe OJ Simpson trial was the one that really, that really reached its apex. Because like I said, this stuff was not news, it was entertainment sensationalistic news.
5: Yeah, it's not yellow journalism. It's just fun journalism. Frankly,
4: I think, it, I think it's crappy journalism myself.
5: No, I mean, I, I do. I'm just saying it's all about how you brand it. But no, like, it. this is a... F- I agree with you. I'm sure they're, they are trying to say something about, you know, uh, hype and sensational journalism of the day. But that's a whole episode in and of itself. That's not good material for a underrated B plot of a part two of a of a middle of the season episode. So, it just I, I it kind of like threw me for a loop. I'm like, "Oh, wait, what are we doing now? What's wait, what's going on?" Bud and Kelly should be more con- directly connected to the events that are happening with Alan and Peggy.
4: And they want to be. And the, these news people and But has a quick change of heart. He says, "Y'all get out of here," and they'll say, "We'll pay you a million dollars for your story." And he says, "Kelly, get these people a snapple." (laughs) Anyway, what tell us about snapple? (laughs)
0: Uh,
5: Well. Besides paying a nice little uh, spot to be unmarried with children, Snapple's a brand of tea and juicy drinks, which is owned by Keurig Dr. Pepper and based in Plano, Texas. Plano. The company... Hmm?
4: Plano, Texas.
5: Pla- Plano, Plano, Potato, Tomato. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Plano, Texas, uh, the company and brand which was originally known as unadulterated food products. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. And this was founded in 1972. The brand achieved some fame due to various pop culture references, including television shows. Snapple is known for a popular series of TV advertisements. In the early 1990s, featuring Wendy Kaufman, or the Snapple Lady, answering letters from Snapple fans.
6: Hi from Snapple. We got a letter here from Dirk MacGyver. Your iced tea is the best I have ever tasted. I am not lying when I say this. We'll see about that.
0: I've been a polygraph examiner for ten years, and I would
3: definitely know if he was not telling us the truth.
0: Do you intend to lie to me today about Snapple?
3: No. Did you tell the truth in your letter? Yes.
1: Is Snapple the best iced tea you ever had? Yes. Well, Dirk, I guess you really do like Snapple iced tea. It
6: might just be the best stuff on Earth.
5: Snapple was previously mentioned in season 9 episode 7. And uh yeah, well, I do remember some Snapple uh, commercials from the day.
4: Oh, I remember them too. And something interesting, you know, they said that we'll pay you a million dollars for your story. I was talking about the journal the sleazy entertainment news Sensationalistic crap that was out during that time. And that's when news organizations were starting to pay people for their stories and come on their morning or evening talk shows. This usually wasn't during the actual news hours, traditionally thought of like between, you know, five thirty to about six thirty. This was, like I said, in usually prime time stuff to get people interested. But then we have to go back to our poor stranded people on the ocean. Al and Peg and Jefferson and, and Marcy and whatever her name is, and Gilbert Gottfried.
6: It's been 24 hours, I'm starved. Oh,
2: me too. Hey Al, why aren't you hungry? Because I've got a natural appetite suppressant. 25 years of marriage.
1: Yeah, and since he doesn't brush, he can always mine his teeth for food. Well, I'm starting to get hungry.
2: Big surprise.
1: Some captain you are. If you're not gonna go down with the ship, at least do something.
2: Oh, excuse me, miss, we never do anything together. Well, we're dying together, Peg. Are you happy now? (laughs)
3: Look at me to cheer anybody up anymore. (laughs) You bent my brow. As far as I'm concerned, we could float out here, sans comedy, and die a miserable, humorless death. Now look what you've done, Al. You've upset the entertainer.
2: Good. Maybe he'll walk.
4: Yeah, she's uh, Joy, right? Yeah, Joy. That's it. wonder how she got that name. But they they do talk about trying to get some food. And I'd say that they're going to get hungry pretty quick out there and get burned, sunburnt.
5: Can we talk about Joy, though? Because sure. It's been a while since we've had uh, one of a classic Marywood children, and I don't normally say this, but I'm just going to say it right now, one of the fat women, which normally the fat women are confined to the shoe store. But now we get one as a central plot on this raft, and I love these fat women, these women that they get, who these poor women. You know what their, their audition, we've brought up before, but what... You are auditioning for Merrywood Children for, you know it's said in the script, Fat Woman Number One. Parentheses, Joy. And she is just chewing, li- almost figuratively, almost literally, the scenery up. I love all of her jokes about eating stuff and being just a huge, monstrous beast.
4: Yeah, she wants to even eat Jefferson. But
5: <laughs> She's considering it. You yeah. know she's thinking about it. She's got a plan to eat every single one of them.
4: <laughs> yeah, very likely. And actually, I wanted to take a look real quick and see a little bit of her uh, acting credentials. Well, Hannah Eckstein. She, she was an actress known for Ed Wood, Lady Avenger, and Ghost Rider. Uh, not much of a bio, but... <laughs> Oh, that's what she's known for because she only has nine acting credits.
5: <laughs> nine more than me. So yeah, uh-huh. there you go.
4: <laughs> and, and Ghost Rider, she was known for, but she's Woman on Phone. Lady Avengers, she's Matron. Man, I haven't heard of this stuff. And Ed Wood, she was Greta Johnson. And her you li- haven't
5: heard of Ed Wood or Ghost Rider?
4: Yeah. Oh, Ed Wood's really good. Okay. And her. After 95, Mary Children was her last appearance until, man, 30 or 21 years later with Pacific Television Theater, a TV series. I was going to see maybe she did some, no, it's just listed as actress. So maybe this was her claim to fame to be the fat woman on Mary with Children for this particular episode. And by the way, you talked about, you know, I'm sure those ads are out there all the time. Needed. Uh, heavyweight women for a TV show. Right next to it, needed very hot women for a TV show because that's, <sighs> th- that's the clientele for Mary with Children. They're either incredibly hot. <laughs> in the hot, same room. <laughs> yeah, or they're incredibly fat. You know, it's one or the other. There's never the, the happy medium.
5: Okay, all you fat women over there on the left, all the hot broads over there on the right. Okay. All the shoe salesmen get the fuck out of here. We already got we already got one.
4: <laughs> oh man. But like I said, you know, I just was wondering if she had any other acting credits and no, not much, but uh, she did well here. I mean, she proved that she can play the uh you know, the comic relief and she does her lines really well.
5: Yeah, she doesn't just sit there waiting for humor to come her way like a lot of our overweight women in the shoe store. She's just, like, she's sitting there grinning and going, how about we catch a fish? Like, (laughs) just like, you have to make food eating jokes stranded in the middle of the raft with nothing to eat. We already made the cannibalist joke. What else can we got? Let's go fishing. Be grosser. (laughs)
2: hey I know we could try to catch a fish all ah, right we got no rod we got no hooks we got no bait now <laughs> oh, we got no rod and hooks
1: <laughs> we got this Peg,
2: pig pig that's a flare gun we only use that when the rescuers try to find us
1: oh but I don't want them to see my hair <laughs>
2: Well, now I know why Jacques Cousteau only has men on the Calypso.
3: Ah, that's not why. (laughs) Hey,
0: hey,
5: we've got an oar.
6: And there's dozens of little fish swimming around the boat. We just hit them with the oar, and dinner is served.
2: Without cooking it.
6: Why bother? I mean,
1: cooking just makes them smaller.
3: Al, just go hit a fish. Oh, Oh, right, it's always Al, I'm hungry, Al, I'm horny.
2: Al, wake up. It's Cindy Crawford. I'm hungry and horny.
1: Well, what are you waiting for? A red one. (laughs) There it is!
2: Hey, where'd she go?
6: Where all dead fish go.
3: To the red lobster?
6: (laughs) No, Nimrod. To the bottom.
3: Hey, Al, you know, I just remember the one thing I knew about the sea. If you beat a fish to a bloody pulp, it tends to attract other fish, bigger fish. Fish with no known enemies.
6: You're gonna need a bigger boat.
2: Wow. this is nice
6: does anyone know how to repel a shark
2: go ahead Gilbert do your impressions
3: <laughs> okay Jerry Lewis oh yeah, oh, yeah! Roll! how much
4: money did we raise <laughs> let's not even cook it yeah but cooking only what? makes them smaller she says <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know what? She got a point. <laughs> and the thing is, they are not going to be able to cook it out there. You can eat raw fish; it is possible. And exactly, yeah. Uh, but I love that joke when uh, they said, "When Al says we've got no, we don't have a line, we don't have a hook, we don't have any bait," and they all look at Gilbert. <laughs> He's scared to death. Oh man! And then. I love it when Peg gets out that flare gun and Al's like, no, that's when the rescue plane comes. We shoot up the flare. Well, I don't want them to see my hair. She tosses it over her shoulder into the sea. Oh, God.
5: Al, I'm hungry. (laughs) It's always, Al, I'm hungry. Al, I'm horny. (laughs) Why can't it (laughs) be Al, wake up. It's Sidney Crawford. I'm hungry and
3: horny.
4: (laughs) And then I love that joke When Al says Well now I know why Jacques Cousteau Only has men on the calypso <laughs> And uh think Gilbert has to interject And says uh that's not why
5: I didn't get that joke Because wasn't Jacques Cousteau Isn't he the uh Inspector uh Who like Tries to find the pink panther or That's something Jacques,
4: like that? Clouseau. Uh, Jacques Cousteau Jacques Cousteau but let's talk about Jacques Cousteau uh, His
5: sh- I wasn't making a joke Stephen I did think that's what we were talking about
4: <laughs> No Jacques Cousteau, maybe a little bit before your time he was a French naval officer he lived between uh, he was born June eleventh, 1910 he died June twenty fifth, 1997 he was a French naval officer explorer, conservationist, filmmaker innovator, scientist, photographer author and researcher who studied the sea and all his forms of life in water, and he co-developed an Aqualon, a pioneer marine conservation. and was a member of the Académie Francaise. Uh, Cousteau described his underwater world researching a series of books, and his first one was called The Silent World, A Story of Undersea Discovery and Adventure, published in 1953. He also directed films and he uh, had these, these specials, and they quite often aired on PBS, and he would go diving with, his, uh, with the other men on the Calypso and look at the sea life and do underwater photography, and it, he was wonderful, and his films won the Palme d'Or at the 1956 Cannes Film Festival, and he was the only person wow. to win that for a documentary film until Michael Moore won it for Fahrenheit 9-11.
5: Yeah, and you know what? Fahrenheit 911. of course that's going to win the Palme d'Or. But like that, that's awesome. I never knew that. He sounds like the hero of James Cameron, doesn't he?
4: Yes, I think he would be. And on top of that, maybe you're familiar with Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Did you ever hear mm-hmm. about that? Yeah. yeah. I think of Jacques Cousteau as the Marlon Perkins of the ocean. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, dang. And (laughs) so I remember watching those because I've always been fascinated by, you know, sea life and underwater life. Believe it or not, I've never been scuba diving. And I found out my cousin-in-law, I guess you can call her my cousin-in-law. She is scuba certified, and I'm hoping I can uh, get that someday and go to her favorite diving site. Because she just put up some pictures of her uh, honeymoon with my cousin. And they did some neat diving. And I'm thinking, wow, my cousin took these pictures. They're incredible.
5: Oh, man, eat all the fish you want down there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, St- but, Stephen, I got to ask, though, um, why does Jacques Cousteau only have men on the
4: calypso? Well, that's just an old joke that a lot of sailors, well, fat uh, <laughs> left-handed. <laughs> that's, well, that's the way I put it, that, that you know, they are... Uh, we
5: keep the women in Sturridge
4: Yes uh-huh, Because Well anyway I don't want to go much into that <laughs> But anyway I did like that joke But uh, I love his I love Al's line that you just quoted About why can't it be Cindy Crawford <laughs> Why don't you tell us about her
5: Oh I actually So unlike Jacques Cousteau I know a lot about Cindy Crawford uh, Sydney Crawford was born on February 20th, 1966, and she was an American model and actress. Her years of success at modeling made her an international celebrity that had led to roles in television and film and work as a spokesperson. During the 1980s and 1990s, Crawford was among the most popular supermodels and, and a ubiquitous presence on magazine covers. Runways and in the fashion campaign. So yeah Sydney Crawford is just one of those images and names and faces that I just I just knew. Like it's like it's just one of those names
4: just like Sydney Crawford.
5: I know that so that's what it was for me growing up so.
4: Yeah she was a hot babe. I wasn't allowed to watch TV my wife wouldn't let me watch her on TV when she was on it so
5: (laughs) Yeah. She's too hungry all the
4: time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Actually, supermodels don't eat much. You know, they eat, they keep their diets really low. Al's got his oar. He's waiting to club a fish, and he clubs one. And they make a comment: "Where does it go? Where all dead fish go? Because bottom of the ocean? No, that doesn't happen. A dead fish floats, uh, but." <laughs> Jefferson points out the one thing he does remember about the sea is that when you beat a fish to a bloody pulp it attracts bigger fish fish that have no known enemies and then all of a sudden you see that big fin cutting through with that ominous music it's not the Jaws theme but it's very Jaws like they probably couldn't get the copyright for that I'm sure that's expensive
5: it's such a blatant rip-off.
4: <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> Me too. Oh, anyway, then we gotta go back to the kids that are back home.
1: Hello, this is
3: Miranda Veracruz de la Hoya Cardinal. Yeah. <laughs> the home of Kelly and Bud Bundy, who are anxiously
1: awaiting news of whether their parents will be found alive or if their decomposing corpses will be found weeks later in some South Florida bog. (laughs) Bud and Kelly, I know that this is a difficult time for you, but can you tell me how you're feeling? And please be as graphic as possible. We
3: refuse to answer this line of questioning until we find out if they're alive.
1: I apologize if I seemed insensitive. So tell me, did your parents ever abuse you?
0: No.
5: Well, surely your father must have seen
4: your heinie.
6: Well, yeah, when I was a baby.
4: <gasps> did Michael Jackson ever touch you?
6: <laughs> did Bob Barker ever touch you? Uh,
0: Tom
3: Arnold? Roseanne? George Plimpton. (laughs) What is the matter with you people? Whatever happened to the noble image of the Fourth Estate? On people like Edward R. Murrow and and Walter Cronkite? Who? (laughs) Walter
6: Cronkite?
0: Was he ever touched by Michael Jackson? (laughs) Get away from me, you ghouls!
3: What was I even thinking letting you people in here? Me and my sister will
6: not sell our parents out for money. Right, Kel. Well, then Daddy had Senator Packwood chase me around the bed. <laughs> <laughs> or was it Senator Mike Tyson? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Yes, it was both of them.
4: <laughs> because okay. I think it's good commentary, <laughs> and I think it was, well, some good writing. And something that gets cut from syndication in this day and age is this couple that's coming down stairs, and they're putting their clothes back on. Did you notice that? A couple Yeah, before. what the heck was that? Yeah, uh, and I think I know why they did that, put that in there, and that's just the ratings grab, you know, to give a slight implication there.
5: So, like, they're just this this couple was getting it on upstairs and like, that's just be like, Whoa
4: moment kind of thing. That's right. And that's what the (laughs) audience did, but you watch it, let's say on logo or WGN America, that quite often, that little snippet is cut out to help the fit the show into that time slot. Anyhow, then the reporters start questioning, uh, bud and Kelly, did Michael Jackson ever touch you? did Bob Barker ever touch you Tom Arnold, Roseanne George Plimpton
5: okay so I recognized every single one of those people, Bob Barker um um, yeah Price is Right, Tom Arnold uh, Rosie O'Donnell's husband, sorry that's all you're gonna get it was Roseanne Um, but George Plimpton I know that name but I don't know where I know it from
4: Well, I will say one thing. He did host the best of Bundy retrospective on the 200th episode.
5: That is probably the only reason I recognize.
4: Yeah, which um, I don't think is going to be reviewed by our podcast because it's one of those clip shows. But he has he's a conservative commentator is what he is. And he was talking about Al Bundy being the everyman that he continues on despite life's frustrations. And he talks about the different characters and, you know, like I said, clip show stuff. And, you know, he was the one that kind of started the idea that uh, Al Bundy was probably a Republican. Now, we don't know the show was really apolitical for the most part. But I do know that Ed O'Neill has been a lifelong Democrat. But anyhow, but they like getting the praise from a conservative commentator. The only thing is, he just wasn't not as well-known, like, say, as a William F. Buckley. You know, I was talking about more like commentators when they take on the left or the right, because oh, Clinton was a conservative like, commentator. Yeah.
5: But before that, we had people like Edward R. Moreau and Walter Cronkite.
4: Yeah, let, and these journalists had no idea who these people were, and I, I think this is another common commentary uh, that... Which one is sneaking in through uh, laughter. And by the way, I kind of like it when they sneak in commentary through laughter because your guard is down. You look at a movie like Blazing Saddles, which can never be made in this day and age. You're laughing and you have to ask yourself, why am I laughing at this? Because this is a very racially insensitive thing that's going on.
5: Mm -hmm. I mean, this. Yeah, like this. This was entering the time this episode came out where media was being um given more of a foothold in american life um it, it was finally it was starting to be questioned and the usual authoritarians and holder of the information the major news networks were starting to have to you know combat that uh like walter cronkite he was the perfect example of that right
4: yeah, because for, actually it was a reversion because if you go back to the early 1900s and the yellow journalism wars between, say, William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer, you know, they had a war going on between their newspapers, and they would use sensationalism a lot to get people to buy their newspapers. As a matter of fact, William Randolph Hearst was influential in starting the Spanish-American War.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
4: the Maine blew up And they thought, well, Spain did it Because there was already a conflict with Spain And so he had a reporter in Cuba And the reporter in Cuba Sent him a, a telegram Or a telegraph And it said, nothing to report down here And Mar- and uh, Not Murrow, but uh, Her said, just send me the pictures And I'll come up with the story And that really rallied people Remember the Maine, it was blown up By the Spanish And that triggered the Spanish-American War. Sadly, that probably wasn't very likely that wasn't the cause. They think it was munitions in there that were affected by the heat and the humidity.
5: And the jackass didn't even want people to get high during that war either, because he's also one of the key figures responsible for the criminalization of marijuana in this country.
4: I didn't know about that. Oh
5: yeah, a bit of, he uh and several other main uh pub- newspaper publication companies started a huge smear campaign and bought tons of lobbyists in the uh in Congress to get hemp legalized because it was a cheaper and more durable form of paper. And it uh affected the timber trade mm. and it was an easier thing to well, it's very hard to get a traded product illegal. But if you can get one of the offsets of hemp cannabis, mm-hmm. make it illegal, then it makes it very hard to, to grow that stuff and it can't be entered into the legal market. And which continued to be classified as a schedule one, even to this day. So his disgusting little manipulated hands are still all over the country today so yeah this is a big thing to be brought up it's again i would have loved a whole episode of married with children dealing with sensational journalism at the time i just don't like that we only get a little small tidbit of it right here
4: yeah and you know they mentioned edward r murrow for those of you who don't know one of my heroes he uh, was born april 25th 1908 and he died april 27th 1965 wow two days after his birthday that sucks He was an American broadcast journalist and war correspondent. He gained prominence during World War II with a series of live radio broadcasts from Europe for the news division of CBS. During the war, he was recruited and worked closely with a team of war correspondents who came to be known as the Murrow Boys. He was a pioneer of radio and television news broadcasting because after the war, television started to boom. Murrow produced a series of reports on his television program, See It Now. And that helped lead to the censure of Senator Joseph McCarthy during the second Red Scare of the 1950s. Uh, we mentioned this before that uh, when we were reviewing last season, we reviewed uh, the Darcy Files when we had Walter Troggett, the new owner of, the, or one of the owners of the Cubs. I think I mentioned that uh, the Cincinnati Reds changed their name to the Cincinnati Red Stockings in the 50s because mm-hmm. of crazy accusations by McCarthy. The sad thing is when he, when Ed, Edward Murrow started to see it now, that didn't last very much longer because he was trying to tackle serious news issues, you know, not the fluff stuff, not, he didn't want to focus on crime. He wanted to focus on social things, public policy, and there wasn't a ratings thing for them. And, it was killed because of that, and sadly, even though he did a fine job journalism. If you want to see a good movie about Edward R. Murrow, you might try Good Night and Good Luck. It came out about 12, 15 years ago. And, oh God, I can't think of his name. But uh, starring in it was, um, anyway, it was a guy who kind of reminds me of David Garrison in many ways. I can't think of his name all of a sudden, if you can... If you ever stumble across it, it's a good movie. Good night and good luck, David Strahan. That was the name of the huh. actor. But, wow. Yeah, that's a good one. And then he mentioned Walter Cronkite. I remember him growing up.
5: Well, thank you very much, Stephen. I didn't know anything about Edward R. Murrow except that uh, you said thank you and good
4: night. Good night and good. It was good night and good luck. Good night
5: and good luck. A oh, good night and good luck. Like that was his.
4: Yeah, he was signing off.
5: Uh huh. Oh, I've I've heard that sign off before, so I'm gonna have to check that uh that that documentary out. That sounds pretty interesting.
4: There's another famous journalist I need to mention. His name, and he always said, "May the good news be yours." Les Nessman of WKRP in Cincinnati, winner of the Buckeye NewsHawk Award. <laughs> okay, all kidding aside, why don't you tell us about Walter Cronkite? <laughs> This is the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite.
5: Yes, let's talk about Walter Pinko Cronkite, as Archie Bunker would call him, which always confused me, (laughs) right? Like, that always confused me because I always remembered my grandparents who raised me uh, referred to Walter Cronkite as he was the most trusted man in America, like everyone loved him. And then when I would watch All in the Family, where Archie Bunker and Edith were much like my grandparents, just more funny. Uh, When I heard Archie refer to Pinko Cronkite in an angry way, I was like, wait, why would he care about that? Well, that's because Walter Cronkite got the reputation of being the most trusted man in America as he got older. But earlier in his life, he was quite a liberal and passionate person who brought a lot of emotion to the uh, emotion and uh, connection between him and the, the audience members during the
4: nightly news. He also did that later in his life too, after his retirement. And yeah.
5: mm-hmm. and it's, it, it like uh, the, what I've read and what I've seen of Walter Cronkite, I understand why it's so effective. I would like, it's not just about missing the news. I'm missing Walter Cronkite. Like I don't care. Like yes, I can get. I don't want the news from Edward R. Murrow. I want the news from Walter Cronkite. I want to hear him. So it it made it very personal. But yes, so Walter Cronkite was born on November fourth, nineteen sixteen, and lived all the way to July seventeenth, two thousand and nine. And he was an American broadcast journalist who served as an anchorman for the CBS Evening News for nineteen years, sixty-two to eighty-one. And during the 60s and the 70s, he was often cited as the most trusted man in America. After being so named in an opinion poll, he reported many events from 37 to 81, including bombings in World War II, the Nuremberg Trials, combat in the Vietnam War, the Dawson Field hijackings, Watergate, the Iran hostage crisis, and the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And actually, with President John F. Kennedy, it was, Stephen, it was either the uh, assassination of Kennedy or the U.S. uh, landing on the moon. One of those was a, he cried on live uh, television. It was John F. Kennedy. It was John F. Kennedy, yes. Like, uh, during that, he cried on television, which... You're probably thinking, okay, well, yeah, he's overwhelmed. No, 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 no. Professional news anchors would never do that. And that could have killed his career. But instead, everyone loved him for it just because he's like, it's okay right now. We're all shocked. So, it, just that right there is, shows the kind of humanity that he's bringing in to a field where is usually kind of should be cold and dispassionate. Um, but he was also he also did Civil Rights Pioneers with Martin Luther King Jr. and the Beatles musician John Lennon he was also known for his extensive coverage of the U.S. space program from Project Mercury and the moon landings and to the space shuttle he was the only non NASA recipient of an ambassador of exploration award Cronkite is known for his departing catchphrase and that's the way it is, followed by the date of the broadcast. Ooh, I love that, and that's the way it is. You, you might, you might go away feeling angry. You might go away feeling shocked, but that's the way it is.
4: He was actually very fair in his news coverage. He reported the news, and there were a few times he did break. Um, one in—I can't remember the exact time, but I remember studying about this in journalism school. Cause i was originally a journalism and history major and it was during the Tet offensive and in vietnam which backfired and god it was just an embarrassment to the country and at one point he was talking to a correspondent over in vietnam and he saw things were and he paused and he looked at the television and he strayed away from just reporting and stayed an opinion about how we are locked in this mire and i don't see an end to it and when uh lyndon b johnson heard about that report he thought that's it i've lost the american people
5: like there must have been so many times in his career where he because all these things we're talking about listeners this was all live television and it's not live television the way live television is now where you technically can edit it and stop it Live television back then was, if Cronkite wanted to say a bunch of crazy stuff about witchcraft and aliens to every single home in America, because everybody's watching the CBS Evening News at 11, he could, and they wouldn't be able to stop him for like a good 10 or 15 seconds. So he had a platform that he could speak openly to everybody Mm -hmm. and... Uh, he understood that power, and he respected it. And there must have been so many times he's like, this could end my career right now if I say this. I'm going to say it, though.
4: Then, uh, after Buzz's little tirade about degrading the fourth estate of Murrow and Cronkite, there's Kelly <laughs> taking money. Well, Daddy then has Senator Packwood chase me around the bed. Or was it Senator no. Mike Tyson? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> now that
4: was a big one back during that time because Senator Bob Packwood he was born September 11th 1932 a politician, a senator from Oregon and he resigned from the state sent under the United States Senate after ex- under threat of expulsion because in 1995 allegations of sexual harassment and abuse of women emerged. It kept going and going and in November 92 the Washington Post, Ran, uh, ran detailed claims of sexual abuse and eventually 19 women came forward you know and that's what ruined him his own he, not the press but his own actions
5: 19 women and Kelly Bundy Wow. yeah
4: and then but you can see it can happen at any time We, you know this is an issue that's come up lately it came up then it came up a long time ago and it's funny because Packwood was actually mentioned in "Change for a Buck" and "But It's the Books," which we will look at next year.
5: Yeah, it's just like I I do find it funny with all this incredibly dated humor mm-hmm. uh, and references. That was the one that they I didn't need explained to me because Senator Bob Packwood, born on September 11th, I still love when I read that. Like he's born on 9/11, and when he was just like, oh. A joke about a senator that I've never heard of with sexual harassment, oh, that works. They don't have to explain who that senator is. I'll believe it. Yeah, you know, it's it's just it's a timeless one. I'm not making a crash joke. It's sadly enough that's the one that doesn't that ages just fine. It's very sadly now.
4: That's I will say, and I think uh, we were talking about this. Maybe with Luigi, I can't remember. But yeah, we were talking when we were discussing A Man for All Seasons during the baseball strike. And that is timeliness of jokes. I will say that's one Achilles heel. I'll talk about more later when I do my rating. I think that's one Achilles heel of this episode is that there are so many pop cultural references for that particular time, unless you were living in that time, you probably have no idea what they're talking about.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And it's different than it's different than them doing references about stuff from when Al and Peggy would have been kids in the 40s and 50s, because that is a already out of time for that show, which would have made them just niche and funny that they're making. You know, it's a reference to something that I have absolutely no idea what this is, and that's just funny. But when they're referencing modern day stuff for the show some of it just lands like a thud because they're totally just saying it ah everyone's gonna know what this is and know the context and for some reason when it's presented in that way it just doesn't work too much
4: yeah there's a timeliness lost there because you know in the earlier seasons you you could identify with the bad vacations to dump water florida or to uh (laughs) new mexico and route 666 you know that those are family things we can all relate to bad vacations or we can relate to the idea um well maybe not so much but like when al was upset that his barber died he wanted to get a real barber had to go to a salon and you know deaths in the family when they when uh, aunt toonie died and she had to be put in the, the little urn for that Marcy carried around. Or David, or not David Garrison. Well, David Garrison is Steve Rose, upset about his Mercedes, because you always know that's a classic car. Yeah. Al losing his bowling ball, being buried, and I didn't shoot the deputy. You know, those are things that uh, we all kind of struggle with. That's, and we, this is kind of lost in this episode. I do admit that.
5: Exactly. And Mary Children makes a lot of uh it it's make this episode's making me realize there's a lot of things about married children I love that I'm missing in this episode like these reporters it's funny that they're actual major news reporters i guess but i would have liked it better if it had a married children flash like have them have them be local z- p- private zine publishers or early 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 like podcasters or ham radio people or school journalists and stuff like people you would at, like backwoods like low-class suburbs suburban kind of like coverage that you would expect on children you know what i mean
4: maybe yeah i think you make a good point there she mentioned senator mike tyson he wasn't a senator. a senator what was he yet <laughs> tell us about Mike Tyson
5: <laughs> oh that made me scramble for our uh, show notes too, because I'm like holy crap What? he wasn't a... he was never a he couldn't be oh okay he wasn't no Mike Tyson was not a senator In f- he was however an American former professional boxer born June 30th 1966 he competed from 1985 to 2005 And he reigned as the undisputed world heavyweight champion and holds the record as the youngest boxer to win a heavyweight title at 20 years, 20 years and four months Mm. and 22 days old. Wow. They counted the days. Tyson won his first 19 professional fights by knockout. His first 19 professional fights by knockout. Wow. Yeah. 12 of them in the first round. He won the WBC title in 1986 after stopping Trevor Burbick in the second round and added the WBA and IBF titles after defeating James Smith and Tony Tucker in 1987. This made Tyson the first heavyweight boxer to simultaneously hold the WBA, WBC, and IBF. Oh man, all of this had me going LOL because I've seen so many Mike Tyson KO videos on you on YouTube, Stephen. It is of sp- an immense spectacle to behold.
4: He's also the only boxer who ever bit off the ear of an opponent.
5: I, I was gonna. I was like, should I bring up the ear? <laughs> yeah, let's bring up the ear. Yeah. Yeah, he he bit the ear off of um...
4: Evander Holyfield.
5: Yes, Evander Holyfield. Play. That's where I knew him. And he's also has a <laughs> he also has a show on Cartoon Network called Mike Tyson's Mystery Tour. <laughs> you know what? It's not that bad. It's it's kind of fun. it's 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 really stupid, but it's good background noise. And it's got Norm Macdonald as a a really debaucherous, uh bird, and a couple other really good Cartoon Network vets, and it's Mike Tyson Savvy Mythies. It he's really funny in it. It's 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 fun humor. But yeah, um, <laughs> he was never a senator, but I could imagine it. <laughs> I'm a senator yeah. now. Let's do Congress. <laughs>
4: You know, he was convicted of rape and sentenced to six years in prison. Did you know that?
5: Oh, I mean, yeah, but those were his off years. Yeah, <laughs> but
4: he recaptured that. He was one of the few uh, to recapture his title. He's one of the few people who did that. Of course, he spent his money ridiculously. He was broke. How, I mean, how can you go through all those millions of dollars? You know, like Nicholas Cage, another great example. They get all that money and they spend it all. Ugh, scary.
5: I mean, I don't know what the heck Nicholas Cage is doing with his money, and I quite frankly I don't want to know. Um, but it's I'm guessing with Tyson, it was probably all on
4: lawyers. I bet that's a good like, point. I never thought about that. By the way, well, here's he in this, lawsuits. Yeah. By the way, a connection with Mary with Children, Tyson has the same birthday as David Garrison. It's June thirtieth. <laughs>
5: I almost said David Garrison and you, Stephen. Wait, but that's not you. No, <laughs>
4: I was born on March 10th.
5: <laughs> Wait, who's she? Is that Luigi? He shares the same birthday as Garrison and Tyson? I
4: guess so. That, that's it's probably. Awesome. I doubt it because that make, would make Luigi a year older than me. So it's probably not the same year, but the same day.
5: Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. I got to bring that up to him next time I see Chacha. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um...
4: Now. At that point, you have to remember that uh, we go back to Al and Peggy and the Darcys and I can't remember her name again, Joy and Gilbert Joy. Yeah, <laughs> at sea.
3: Okay, Jerry Seinfeld. Why do people ride buses? <laughs> These people? (laughs) And where do they find exact change? Hey, can you do Ted Kennedy? Sure. Anyone wanna hold my pants? (laughs) 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 Look,
2: Peg, it's obvious we're not gonna be rescued, and it's even more obvious why. (laughs) Well look, one of us has gotta swim for help. Any volunteers?
6: Okay, okay. We should draw straws. Did anybody bring straws? I have straws.
2: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Whoever picks the short one, like we don't know who that's going to (laughs) be, swims for help. Yeah, I can't believe how small it is
0: Boy
1: If I had a nickel for every time I've said that Oh, well, Al, I'm just kidding This is the bravest thing I've ever seen You know, honey, we've been through a lot Good times and bad times And you know, if I never see you again I just really want you to know that I love you Boy, he's a
3: fast swimmer
5: Yeah, look at him go Well, what do we do now?
3: Well, there is a matter of my check. You see, just because the boat sinks doesn't mean the comic has to work for free.
6: Put a tray in it, Gilbert.
3: He's right, sweetheart.
5: Give the man a 20.
6: Fine. Get me my wallet.
1: Okay. Where is it?
6: On the ocean floor. <laughs> Don't you realize that we are stuck out here, a million miles from nowhere? It's gonna be weeks before we see any sign of life.
2: Ahoy there! We're a yachtful congressman wasting our constituents tax dollars. You need any help or liquor or anything?
4: I love it because Gilbert Godfrey talks about doing the Jerry Seinfeld impression. And if you look at Jerry Seinfeld today, he's got his hair cut short. He looks a lot like Gilbert Gottfried, just a tall version of him. It's just yeah, as we
5: get older, we all start looking more like Gilbert Gottfried.
4: Oh God, please no! I think he's funny, but I don't want to look like him. It's too too late,
5: Stephen. Look in the mirror. Yeah. It's happening.
4: But <laughs> you know, at this point, Al decides he's going to swim to try and get back uh, home, <laughs> and dives into the water. Oh boy. Hmm. And I got a big question here. There is no way he knows which way he is going. He has no point of reference. Like if this- Oh you know what
5: it, <laughs> I've got a question too. So uh one of the things that I I'm noticing in our notes right here, it says notice all the uh reporters are wearing the same clothes despite the fact that it's been three days three to six days before Peggy got home. Until we say that, it's true. How in my mind They've only the, the, they've only been in this raft a day or so. I kind of forgot how long they were in there. Did you forget while you were watching it until they brought that those days up? It didn't really like play. Yeah, that I was the one who was, the who thought
4: about it because they're rescued in the Caribbean, which is where the cruise was. And I'm thinking, well, first they're going to be taken to a medical facility to be checked out. You know, once the ship gets to shore, and then. They're going to need transportation to get back to Chicago somehow. So I'm thinking at least three to six days, at least three. And they're still wearing the same clothes. How long
5: was it between the ship going down and them getting rescued?
4: You see, and that's another thing. That was probably at least 24 hours, maybe even 36.
5: Yeah, I didn't take that they were on that raft for more than a day.
4: Yeah, and then the ship that found them... This is one joke I didn't care for because it's so canned. Hey, we're senators wasting taxpayer money. You know, do you need a hand or something to drink? I
5: mean, it kind of fits with the rest of this humor in this episode, sadly, in my personal opinion.
4: And then (laughs) you have to stop and think, Al just left just not even a minute ago. You would think they would say, well, my husband went that way, or he went that way. Even Gilbert might even, like, told us that Al went that way. The ship probably could have headed in that direction to see if they could find him.
5: Yeah, shouldn't it have been the ship filled with um, bikini babes who are having a all-you-can-eat buffet and as much as you can drink for the next 25 minutes or until Al Bundy gets on the ship? well no no you're you're right on it because Al jumps out of the boat that was a perfect I was waiting for something like that to happen like something oh Al's gone now everything they ever could have wanted is gonna show up but it's just hey we're rescued oh and that uh, it's bad when we're left with a and then what happened kind of thought you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's been Two days since you were rescued, Mrs. Bundy, and they still haven't found your husband. How do you feel about that? Cry if you can. (laughs) Well, of course, we all want Al back. We thought he'd washed up onto the beach, but it turned out to be just a giant jellyfish. (laughs) Uh, Mrs. Bundy,
3: if your husband does turn
6: up dead, we're willing to pay you a fortune for your exclusive story.
1: Really? Uh Well, how much?
4: Depends. What did he do for a living?
1: He was a shoe salesman. 50 bucks. (laughs) Unless, of course, he abused you. (laughs) How much is that worth? (laughs) $500,000. Well, you know, he did make us drive around in that Dodge, and he made us live in this house. Is that enough?
0: Uh, Oh, Oh my God! God. God. God.
5: Daddy!
1: Then, Alvin Bundy, my late husband's identical twin. How nice of you to drop by on such a sad occasion.
2: How much, Peg?
1: Enough to make it worth your while to walk out that door and never come back.
2: F- five dollars? <laughs> nice try, Mrs. Bundy. And Mr. Bundy.
3: Who's for rooting through Oprah's trash? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, perhaps some of our viewers who sit way too close to the screen might find your rescue story interesting.
2: Well, it, it, it is, really. I, I swam for hours, and then when I didn't think I could go on any longer, suddenly I was surrounded by a school of man-eating sharks when, miraculously, some dolphins chased them away, swam me to safety. Man and dolphin working together against a common enemy. <laughs>
6: Did any of them abuse you?
2: No, they saved my life.
0: Turn the camera off. Where are you going? It sweeps,
1: guys. Unless that dolphin was Michael Jackson's love child, we've got nothing.
4: But then almost immediately, they go back home.
5: Yes, you're right. Three to six days later, they make it back home.
4: (laughs) And they're interviewing Peggy about, uh, you know, what did he do to you? Well, he made us live in this house and all this other stuff. And all of a sudden, there's a, you know, someone shows up at the door. And here's something. Why is Al ringing the doorbell?
5: You know what? I... (laughs) I, I kind of, it's been a while since I've lived in a home with a doorbell, but I could imagine myself doing that where I'm just like, I got left at the airport and I had to hitchhike back like six days, no one, no call or anything. And I hear everybody in there. I'm just going to walk up, ring the doorbell, wait for someone to open it up and be like, Hey,
4: jackass. Of course, if you think <laughs> about it, he dove into the ocean. He probably left his keys in his luggage, which is at the bottom of the ocean. So I guess yeah. to a certain extent, that would make sense.
5: Yeah, see, good continuity with that. Good, good, good. At your feet, Ed O'Neill. <laughs> but yeah, I do love it. He's he's in his clothes, he's it's all torn. It literally looks like he got out of the ocean about a hundred feet away.
4: <laughs> and I love it when Peg says, Al, Vin Bundy, or was it Alvin, something like that? My dead husband's twin, Alvin. <laughs> yeah, oh, Al, God. yeah, Vin. Bundy <laughs> and I I did like the joke how much peg enough to make you never want to enough to make oh. you walk out of the house and never worry again five dollars <laughs> I thought that was hilarious but the reporters oh, don't fall for that, it they're all leaving and they want to know maybe why or or you said that uh I'm gonna tell, tell you how I got out of it. You know, he was surrounded by sharks. Some dolphins rescued him. A great thing between dolphin and man against a common enemy. And by the way, I think we forgot to mention that. Uh, did we mention that? Uh, you know, I loved it. I liked the reporters better once uh, Miranda. I can't say all of her name. I can never keep it straight. When Miranda shows up, I thought it got a little bit more. I thought it got better with the newspaper reporters. But she asked him, did any of them rape you? No. And there's this little line that they say. It sweeps, guys. Unless that dolphin was somebody's uh, boyfriend, we've got nothing. And let me tell you, this is the thing. This episode of Married with Children aired during one of the three months that's used for measuring ratings so networks know how much they can charge. It aired in February. The other two must be November and May. That's usually when TV shows put out their best stuff because they want to get, you know, be able to charge more. The sad thing is even news stations, local news stations are going to do that, both radio and TV. And so that's why they're trying to get the sensationalistic stuff at that time. I remember during Sweeps Month when I was living out near uh, Woodward, Oklahoma, pastoring a church, my wife and I were watching the news and their shocking story was about college students who stripped for money really that's what journalism is coming to you know the sensationalistic stuff to get you all riled up you know that's just an example and the, to me the frustrating thing is and i hear this all the time and i'm not knocking them but when fox news ever brags about their high ratings i'm thinking to myself just because you high, have high ratings doesn't necessarily mean you have good journalism going
5: on. Oh, I'm sorry. Fox can't hear you. They're too busy going, high ratings, we win. Yeah. Like, it's just that, you know, it's gonna work. It's just like the uh, middle school journalist uh, on a school paper who writes out a post-it or something for the class and then writes in big letters on top, sex, and underneath, now that I have your attention, yes. let me tell you about it works, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so yeah. Like, there. Do we use this to get people to watch us, and now we're watching us? Now we can educate them, or do we just always be the sensational news? So,
4: and that's what. That's why I, I really have come to really dislike ratings-driven news because I don't think that works well. I saw this great YouTube video. I forgot who put it out. It was a few years ago about the difference the way the american media covered ebola outbreak versus journalism in europe mostly in great britain the delivery is totally different Mm -hmm. in american news especially with the news opinion shows people are yelling saying the president should close the border now when we had like very few i mean Yeah, we had a pandemic recently, but the Ebola really didn't affect us very much at all. It was a blip. But the news media was blowing it out of proportion. I can't remember. I think it was Shepard Smith was working at Fox at the time. And uh, he tried to put in perspective that, you know, we've only had like four cases so far. But news runs on ratings. And it's just really, I'm thinking that's the wrong way to go. You just need to report it.
5: Yeah. It's a bad way to go because it breaks the, uh, it, it, ge- it, gives too much incentive for journalists, investigators, and reporters to forget their main goal is to give us facts and news, whether we really want to hear it or not. So there you go on that,
4: but really quick, I want to m- mention something. We'll come back to that, but, uh, there was a good joke in there uh, two great jokes really you know Kelly telling mom don't say that in front of dad's twin you know he's going to tell okay that was
2: funny too. Yeah. Uh, Peg by the way thanks for that all out effort to find me after you were rescued
1: well you know I wanted to wait to find you but I was outvoted five to nothing I mean four to one you <laughs> well, shouldn't talk like that to dad's twin you know he's going to tell <laughs>
2: Hey, I'm only going to say this once because I'm tired and I, I think I have a clam in my shorts.
1: Don't flatter yourself.
2: No more magazine contests. As I've said before, no good can come of it.
3: Congratulations! I'm Gilbert Gottfried and you've just won one...
4: <laughs> and I did like the wrap-up. I did like the wrap up. The doorbell rings and there's Gilbert Godfrey with the great big check. I'm Gilbert Godfrey and you just won and Al slams the door. I did like that wrap up because Gilbert Godfrey comes back to annoy Al more and you just can't get enough of Gilbert.
1: No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple podcast app, and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review.
5: Alrighty. So, hmm, Stephen, how many serving trays are you going to save from the gallows on this episode of Verywood Children?
4: I thought it was Buck, king of all dogs. But anyway, <laughs> I'm going to, before I get to the life raft, I am going to get four serving trays. Originally, I was thinking more like four and a half to five. But as we discuss this, you know, you see some problems with it. I still like it. It's just not that as high as caliber, you know, when you really scrutinize it. So I will get four. I, when they were on, they were on. But like what we were talking about, you know, there's so much things that you only get if, you know, you grew up during that time, that you know that time. I mean, it's the same thing with me if I'm watching, say, The Honeymooners. I'm not knocking it, but there were some jokes I didn't get when I was a kid because I didn't know about the history and the pop culture at the time. And I think if Married with Children focused more on, you know, the humor of the family, of course, I guess this would qualify as a vacation that goes bad. I just, you know, I'm just going to give it four. How many serving trays are you gonna steal from the galley before the ship goes down?
5: Well, <clears throat> listeners uh, who all of all of you guys out there who are fans of me and Steven and are keeping track of how we rate things. This is going to be a one for the collector's edition because me and Steven are polar opposites today. I'm gonna save two trays from the gallows. And here's why. Um, this yes, I'm not angry. I am not. This is not Kelly breaks out. This is not making me angry like that episode did. It it, it disappointed me big time. I was very very excited for part two. Part one was so great, and we we should we can't rate part 2 by itself like it it's a connection it's a it's literally titled part 2 so therefore you you're connected by how well you uh how well you help the first one extend its story and i tuned in to watch an episode of Mary with children not an snl sketch or series of SNL sketches because that's what I felt like I was watching for the first time ever. I literally thought I was watching a series of sketches, which technically that is what a sitcom is. But if it's edited and done right, it flows like a real life event. This one didn't flow well for me at all. It it doesn't. Um, it just didn't flow right with me. It um it seemed very disconnected the a plot and the B plot um, I love the I will say I do like the jokes you're right when they're on they're on there's good repartee between the people in the lifeboat um, there should have been maybe another person to balance out joy or maybe have joy be Gilbert Godfrey's wife just have it should have been a, a three different couples um just little tiny things like that that were just like making my comedy brain itch uh Kelly and Bud could have been used very well like like I said connected with it maybe it's an in one or two investigative journalist couple that is trying to find the secret of why it went down maybe Al got his tickets from somebody who jumped ship or something like I don't know Come up with something, make it a murder mystery out of nowhere like they had a huge they had a lot of fun, maybe it was a secret racket to get to get all the fat people out of Chicago. I don't know like make something good, get your story well, be zany and fun. this just seemed lazy, and with a comedy sitcom, one of the main reasons that I'm giving it so low of of a rating is that the worst sin you can do is be boring. And I was for one of the first times in my life, a little bored while watching Mary with children. There were moments where I was like, ha or "heh," hey. But for the most part, I'm just like, "mm-hmm." okay. I was checking my phone a lot of times. And from an episode that I didn't remember very well, that's not good. And I enjoyed talking with you about it, Stephen. It really helped open my eyes on what exactly I didn't like. And the references, they're too connected right to that time period. If you're not part of it, it's not going to be really funny. But, like I said, one one silver plate, one serving tray plate for them being on and on. A lot of fun jokes. And
4: Did you say one or two? Earned. I thought you... Did you say fault oh, 2, two.
5: Or one? Oh, well, no, well, yeah, 1, the, the second one, mm-hmm. the second serving one goes to Gilbert Gottfried. A really great guest. He seems like he had a lot of fun with the crew. Uh, they utilized him very well from beginning to end, but they should have utilized him more. Gilbert Gottfried has a lot of energy and he has a he could you he could have been used to greater extent. All I'm saying is there is a lot of missed opportunities too many of them for me to ignore them definitely on my one of my lower recommends on the season nine not the worst but definitely one of the lower
4: ones you know I I will say that I thought the B plot was better than last week's B plot or happened oh. one I'll give it that and I will agree I thought Gilbert Goffrey was a much much better uh guest star than Wolfman Jack
5: oh see I'm not gonna say better uh, I'm just going to say, I don't want even even compare them. Wolfman Jack was great. He did just what he was asked to do, and I don't want any more, nor any less of him. Uh, actually, no, I could use a little less of Wolfman Jack, but I didn't want any more of him. Gilbert Gottfried could have been, should have been used way higher. They utilized Wolfman Jack perfectly. They didn't utilize Gilbert Gottfried. I don't
4: think they utilized was- Wolfman Jack very well. You know, really? once they left, you know, once they left for the ship, because he's staying at the house for some bizarre reason. It just.
5: Oh yeah, you know, yeah. That's yeah. where they. That's where they failed. They. I said they. They used him too much. Uh, <laughs> way too much. Uh, he was great at the beginning of the first episode where he, as he gets them the, their check and everything. He was utilized perfectly. He's a fun presence to
4: have on there. So like. <laughs> yeah, but after that, it was like, "What's your purpose here?" Now, exactly. you did say that uh, we're going to also kind of re-rate the previous one.
5: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so sadly enough, this is uh, an example of where it's going to... So the way we should re-rate this, I think, Stephen, is does, does our we're going to rate the whole thing together as ship happens as one conglomerate connecting the two together. Sadly enough, just like when you have uh, two tests that you took that are one, then the second one, you get a lower score. It brings that first test average down a little bit. In my mind, this actually makes the first episode drop a little bit. It actually makes me wish that that first episode just ended with the ship coming down. And then later you find that Al and Peggy came home. Like, we didn't really need a second part at all. It, just, it didn't even need to be needed. So it's actually going to make me drop my one by whatever it was the last time.
4: <laughs> it's not going to change my rating, and let me explain why. And that's because it's a two-parter, but I kind of look at the second one as the sequel. And it's rare that your second part will measure up or be as good as or exceed the original. So it doesn't change my opinion of that first one because I thought for the most part it was well-written. It had some good jokes. But uh, that's just me. That's my thoughts on it.
5: I guess it depends on how you think of part one and part two. I've been doing a lot of sequel watchings, like where I'll, watch a, uh, fran- I'll start a franchise and I'll watch the first one and then the second one immediately. And the way I see that is you if you're going to do a part two, and this one is a part two. This one picks up right after the other one ends, like almost to the minute. Uh, your purpose as a part two is to be an extension of part one. You're supposed to add to it and build up with the first part set down. If it uh, if it happens, like if it's a movie and it's happening, like oh, the the part one ends with the villain vanquished and then part two starts five years later, or it's a prequel or something, then that can be judged on its own merit. But if it if it's a direct sequel, in my this is just how I view it. Part two's your purpose. Is to build up part one you are linked to it intimately and you need to add to it and if you don't add to it then you're kind of pointless and filling up a day with cheap backgrounds done on one stage like this whole episode probably could have been shot in a week so yeah so to me it's like you know we broke the bank with that that awesome ship one like this is why we need commentaries on these like dvds i want to know what the heck happened dur- during the filming of this whole thing because it really seems like they had a cool idea maybe they were going to do a whole titanic thing where the ship was sinking we had violinists getting mauled by fat women or you know, just uh, or fun stuff like that i uh, I think Titanic had already come out at this time, like, so... Wait, no, no it, it had. But two years but, down the but, road. Okay, so never mind. They wouldn't be able to reference that, but we know the Titanic sank, so have it be the part two, the ship sinking or something like that. I don't know,
4: it's just... So for you, is part two sank.
5: Yeah. Yeah, part two could have been the whole thing sinking. So... Yeah, that's just me going. Or just excise this whole part two completely and do do its own episode on, or even better yet, have this would be a really great remake of part two because I do like all this journalism stuff, Stephen. This was some fascinating things being brought up. They should have had the entire part two not even feature Al or Peggy until the very, very, very end And have it be a Bud and Kelly episode, searching for them with like, and groups of like news reporters, chronicling what they're doing. I don't know how that would happen or would work. And then they find them, and they're they've all had like a wonderful time in the life raft during this entire thing. And they actually they they washed up on shore of a tropical paradise. And during this whole time, Kelly and Buddy thought they were Kelly and Bud thought they were like marooned or something. I don't know. That would have been really fun. Just kind of a uh, the first one's about the parents. This next one's going to be about the kids looking for the parents.
4: A good idea. I kind of like that. Actually. Where were mm-hmm. you thirty years ago when this was written?
5: <laughs> I know, right? Or twenty
4: six years ago? Excuse me.
5: <laughs> I know, listener, like producers. I know you're listening. Married with Children Reboots These are some ideas All these can still work (laughs) (laughs) Married with Grandchildren Let's do it
4: Well it's not going to happen sadly But we can always dream Yeah Well that's it for this episode I hope you tune in next week When Luigi and Chris will be reviewing Something Larry This Way Comes Amanda Burst Returns to to the director's chair it, and this is one where Kelly is all excited that Larry Storch, the founder of the Larry Storch School for Acting, will be visiting her personally. Anyway, hang around for that one. I need to watch that one again. I haven't seen that one in a while. Greed.
5: That's a really, really good one. Anytime Ama- I've noticed anytime um, Amanda's directing, they tend to be really strong written episodes and well-structured
4: well, I hope so. I just uh, haven't watched that one very much, so that'll be like my ship. You know, your ship happens too. Your well, ship happens one the same for you. You didn't remember very well. Yeah. Well, then that will be mine that uh, I don't remember very well. But anyway, until we come back then, good night and Good luck. <laughs>
2: Now, this is the tale of our castaways. They're here for a long, long time. They'll have to make the best of things. It's an uphill climb. The first mate and his skipper, too, will do their very best to make the others comfortable in their topic island nest. No phone, no light, no motor cars, not a single luxury. Like Robinson Crusoe, it's primitive as can be. So join us here each week, my friends. You're sure to get a smile. From Seven Stranded Castaways, here on Gilligan
4: Time <laughs>